DiscerningHearts.com presents Beginning to Pray with Dr. Anthony Lillis. Dr. Lillis is an associate professor and the academic dean of St. John's Seminary in Camarillo, California, as well as the academic advisor for the St. Juan Diego House of Priestly Formation for the Archdiocese of Los Angeles. Through the years, clergy, seminarians, religious, and lay faithful have benefited from his lectures and retreat conferences on the Carmelite Doctors of the Church and the writings of St. Elizabeth of the Trinity. He's the author of several books, including Hidden Mountain Secret Garden, A Theological Contemplation of Prayer. In this series of conversations with Dr. Lillis, we reflect on the writings of St. Elizabeth of the Trinity. Her retreat, Heaven and Faith, is the source of our current reflection. Beginning to Pray with Dr. Anthony Lillis. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. We're on to the second prayer of the fourth day, which, as you've instructed us, occurs primarily towards the close of the day. Yeah, so Elizabeth would um, would have invited her sister to think about this maybe after dinner or at some quiet part of the day after the kids had kind of gone down. She says, I have come to cast fire upon the earth, and how I long to see it burn. It is the Master himself who expresses his desire to see the fire of love enkindled. In fact, all our works and all our labors are nothing in his sight. We can neither give him anything nor satisfy his only desire which is to exalt the dignity of our soul. Nothing pleases him so much as to see it grow. Now, nothing can exalt it so much as to become in some way the equal of God. That is why he demands from the soul the tribute of its love. As the property of love, is to make the lover equal to the beloved as much as possible. The soul in possession of this love appears on equal footing with Christ because their mutual affection renders everything common to both. I have called you my friends because all the things that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. But to attain this love, the soul must first be entirely surrendered. Its will must be calmly lost in God's will, so that its inclinations, its faculties, move only in this love and for the sake of this love. I do everything with love. I suffer everything with love. This is what David meant when he sang, I will keep all my strength for you. Then love fills it so completely, absorbs it and protects it so well that everywhere it finds the secret of growing in love. Even in its relations with the world, In the midst of life's cares, it can rightly say, 
My only occupation is loving. So now we get to the secret of Christian prayer. One of the ways that we know that Christian prayer is, when we're engaged in it as Christians, there needs to be conversion of life. And in the previous reflection from earlier in the day, Elizabeth tells us that if we surrender to the movement of the Holy Spirit in us, we become a lot less concerned about the imperfections that we have to deal with and a lot more attuned to just the presence, the movements of love in us. And we let those take us over. And this is genuine conversion. Conversion is growing deeper and deeper into love. It's letting the obedient love of the Lord grab hold of and move our hearts. Her insight into this dimension of the spiritual life actually comes from a poem from Therese of Lisieux. It's called Living by Love. And mm-hmm. Therese of Lisieux reflects on what it means to live a whole life by love and for love and through love with nothing but love. Those who read the story of the soul by Therese of Lisieux know that it's composed of three manuscripts. The second manuscript is a letter she wrote to one of her one of her sisters that isn't so autobiographical as much as it describes what it means to live one's life as an offering to divine mercy, what it means to live the little way. And it's in there that Elizabeth read Therese's words about her vocation to be love at the center of the church. His love at the center of the church, this is what animates everyone else. And so the contemplative, the person who prays, uh, because they open their heart to the love of God and let God's love flow through them, they end up transforming and strengthening and supporting everyone else who has different roles in the church because they become like a conduit of love. The love flows through them and into the hearts of others. Elizabeth is saying, to her sister, this isn't just for contemplatives, but this is also for you who who are an earthly mom trying to struggle your way through all the different crazy things that happen every day as a mom. You can mm-hmm. open yourself up so that every moment, every instant of your life is consumed by the task of loving. It is the master himself who expresses his desire to see the fire of love enkindled. In fact, all our works and all our labors are nothing in his sight. We can neither give him anything nor satisfy his only desire, which is to exalt the dignity of our soul. Nothing pleases him so much as to see it grow. Now, nothing can exalt it so much as to become in some way the equal of God. That is why he demands from the soul the tribute of its love, as the property of love is to make the lover equal to the beloved as much as possible. This is the the hard part. This is done through a surrender to the will of God, living in his will, letting that will consume you, to use uh, her language. Uh, What does this mean? I think that if we're honest and we look at our lives, there's a tendency 
to want to be in control of what's going on. There's a tendency to want to protect ourselves from being hurt. We want to protect ourselves from situations where where we're not in control, where uh, we can be taken advantage of and so forth. And as long as those kinds of anxieties are driving us, as long as we're worried too much about uh, material things and uh, what we have and what we don't have, as long as we're concerned about one-upmanship in relationships, you know, like who got the last word in and uh, what somebody's said this real zinger and I've got to come back with my zinger. As long as we're mm-hmm. in those kind of verbal battles and emotional battles and contention and strife and gossip, we're not living in the will of God. We're not really surrendered to it. We, we're we really trying to be our own master and we're trying to make ourselves happy in our own terms. And that's a very frustrating and tormenting place for a Christian to be. To surrender to the will of God is to, in the beginning especially, it's to recognize when we're not surrendered to it, when we are caught up in pettiness, when we find ourselves driven by all kinds of different emotional needs and wants. The first thing to do to be surrendered to the will of God is to acknowledge that in those instances and in all those ways, we're not surrendered. And then once you recognize that you're not surrendered in those ways, to beg God to help you to surrender. Sometimes you can be in a a little bit of a spat with someone you love. You might want to get the last word in because whatever they just said hurts so badly. And you want to somehow defend yourself, defend your dignity. And living by love, this would be to recognize your desire to defend yourself, to get the person back, to to win that verbal battle, to realize that is not godly. This is not the Father's will for your life. The Father's will for you is to come what come may, no matter how difficult and humiliating it is, to return love for insult, to turn the other cheek, to forgive our enemy, Sometimes the enemy is someone who lives closest to us. Sometimes our enemy can even be the person we love the most. And to live in the will of God is to live by perpetual acts of mercy. And the only way we can live by these perpetual acts of mercy is to be surrendered, to let go, and not try to spend our lives doing anything other than love. And so when you find that kind of angry moment where you want to say something back and then you become aware of it, if you become aware of it beforehand, the thing you need to ask God, God, don't let me move in this direction. Lord, what do I need to do so that I do not respond this way? Sometimes the Lord will prompt you to leave the room as quickly as you can. So mm-hmm. Therese of Lazure, she said that her last defense was to run away, to fly. I think sometimes it's the most prudent thing to do. We never, ever have to do something that's not loving. Other times you'll find that you have the thought, you realize that you need to, to shut your mouth, and the most stupid things come out anyway. Then what do you do? Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Well, a soul that is struggling to be surrendered to the will of God humbly recognizes the moment it is fallen and turns to the Lord with gratitude, realizing the great grace that it has been given to see its own folly. And it turns humbly to the person that it has offended and it begs forgiveness. It begs forgiveness from God and it trusts that God is going to work through its brokenness to heal the situation that just happened. But even more, work through the brokenness to help oneself enter into a deeper and deeper surrender. And so this is the great battle for love that Elizabeth is talking about in this passage. It's, it's a school of love. It's a way of life. It's, it's a decision to live in a certain way. It's the decision that we make by the help of God who, by the presence of the Holy Spirit, is at work in us. And we can do it. Jesus prayed for us to have this grace. He sent the Holy Spirit into our hearts that we can have this grace. And if we persevere, uh, Elizabeth is kind of giving us a word of hope. She's saying, yes, you can live by love. You who are out in the world, you who are struggling to do the best you can, if you trust the Lord, he will help you. One other mystic comes to mind. Sister Faustina Kowalska, she, mm-hmm. she was influenced by both Therese of Lisieux and, in a lesser way but significant way, Elizabeth of the Trinity on this same doctrine. Sister Faustina Kowalska is the sister from Poland who died in 1938. She had uh, all these apparitions of Jesus who revealed to her the mystery of his divine mercy and encouraged her to help souls be devoted to his divine mercy and to live by divine mercy. And she was so overwhelmed by his love for her and his generosity to her, the kindness and the gentleness with which he he called her deeper and deeper into intimacy. She was so overwhelmed by that, so filled up with the fire of God's love in her that at a certain stage in her prayer, she called out to Jesus and she said, Jesus, what more can I do for you? I, I will give you anything. I'll do anything you want. Tell me what what more can I do? You've loved me so much. Tell me what I can give back to you for all the blessings you've given me. And Jesus said, give me your misery. Everything else you have, all the good things you have, those are gifts from me. I've given you those gifts. But your misery, your misery is the only thing that rightfully belongs to you alone. You are the author of your own misery. And so when you give that to me, when you entrust that misery to me, It is particularly delightful to me. It brings joy to my heart to to receive your misery so that I have space in your life to work, to do great things. In Elizabeth's passage here, she's getting much to the the same idea, maybe uh, in a more positive way. When we struggle to love, we're going to find these places of misery in us. And by this word, by surrendering to God's will, by trusting him in the face of all the failures we have in the face of the love that we're called to live. But to attain this love, the soul must first be entirely surrendered. Its will must be calmly lost in God's will, so that its inclinations, its faculties, move only in this love and for the sake of this love. I do everything with love. I suffer everything with love. This is what David meant when he sang, 
I will keep all my strength for you. That's giving God our misery. And God, even though we fell, we've fallen, we fall short of his glory, even though that happens, his power is at work and can accomplish great things. And by his glory and by his grace, we can learn to love. Mm, wow. Now, Anthony, when someone is having this opportunity to be able to suffer love, when they encounter like that moment with Therese where she would say, I have to leave, I have to be quiet, or I even have to leave. In today's culture, they would say, well, you're being weak. You should stand up for yourself. It is about self-esteem. Mm. But really what you're saying is that the it's more about his esteem. Mm. in us, isn't it? I mean, there's a balance there. I realize that. I mean, some things, the pathological things or the, the, what psychologists would say, you know, you need to not be abused. Uh-huh. However, th- there is that, that dance we do between pride and humility. Mm-hmm. I, I think that's the, that's the, you've kind of tapped into something that's very important. You know, it's not God's will that we just allow ourselves to be abused and walked on and stamped on by everybody. And and there are family situations that need to be addressed. It's not God's will that those evil things, uh, you know, we should want those evil things in our life and not do anything about them. But what is God's will is that we love with everything we have. And, And more often than not, Loving with everything we have means sometimes rather than engage the fight and in engaging the fight, do something or say something that's that lacks love, which is something hurtful to someone else. See, there's a way of defending ourselves that can be done in love. When we live in love, when we act in love, and even when we defend ourselves in love, God's will, his way of seeing things becomes revealed. Jesus, when he was falsely accused, there were moments where he spoke to his accusers and he revealed to them the truth of what was going on. He always did it, though. I I think if we look at the scripture passages, the theological significance of what he was saying, when he said something, when he reacted when he revealed something that was in his heart. He was doing it only out of obedient love to the Father. This is where what you're saying in terms of God's esteem is important. Pride is to esteem ourselves in a way that is other than the way God esteems us. Pride is rooted in a self-perception, a fantasy really, that we have of ourselves. And more often than not, when we defend ourselves out of righteous indignation, we're not really defending our true dignity, our true identity. We don't even know what it is because we haven't talked to God about what that is. Mm -hmm. Instead, we're usually defending a fantasy of what we are, what we think we are, the way we think we ought to be treated. And that's what's so damaging when we're trying to defend a fantasy, an unreality, about ourselves, 
uh, over and against which some uh, fantasy somebody else has asserted. Our fights so often are totally rooted in unreality. The person who is able to speak the word of truth, the word of love, sometimes you're able to say it, what needs to be said, you have perfect calm, uh, you, you're not saying it to lash back, you're not saying it in reprisal, it is just the fact that needs to be said at the time and at that moment. And, and the Holy Spirit moves you to say it. And in fact, in the scriptures, it says, no, don't worry when you're hauled before your persecutors about what you're going to say. Don't worry about it. The Holy Spirit will give you what to say. And the person whose dignity is on the line, if the Lord wants you to say something, he will give you the word and peace to say. And you will say it. The truth will ring out. It will have its effect. Uh, it will admonish it will chasten. It usually leads us to deep tears and contrition, or it may harden someone's heart just as easily. Um, uh, that word of truth is a grace for somebody's life. This is how we should speak to each other always. It should always be a word of truth. It should never be, I'm trying to get back at someone, get my dig in, my barb out, uh, for someone because they hurt me. If we're just reacting to the fact that somebody's insulted us or humiliated us, there's what good is that? What does it accomplish in the end? Nothing. But if we're speaking out of the love of God, the deep knowledge that we have is of, of his love because we've encountered him in the depths of our soul, that kind of speech, it not only transforms our life and the life of the person we're talking to, it can transform families and it can transform whole communities. Yeah, I was recalling the type of endurance, that grace that needed to be poured into the lives of saints like St. Gerard Magella, Vincent de Paul, and again, Faustina that you brought up, because at different times, persecution came their way and their resolution was to be silent either in public matters or in, in those private hurts that they endured with people that they knew. And the, the lives of the saints chronicle this up and down and all around. It, and the only thing that can give it to them, from what I'm hearing you say, and from the teachings of Elizabeth of the Trinity, is grace. Mm. That love, that grace that gives endurance. Yeah, I think you're really tapped into some a message so very important, so very pertinent to our time. A lot of times our efforts to defend ourselves, to uh, stick up for ourselves or whatever, behind those efforts is a lack of trust in God. Mm -hmm. But if we've rooted our hearts deep in trust, if we've turned to the Lord and asked Him for our, His help and learned to trust in Him, then anything can happen and we'll not be rocked. Then love fills it so completely, absorbs it and protects it so well that everywhere it finds the secret of growing in love. Even in its relations with the world, in the midst of life's cares, it can rightly say, my only occupation is loving. Uh, 
so many things happened in the lives of the saints that ought to have rocked them and never did because they kept their eyes fixed on Jesus. He gave them the words to say when it was time to be say, to say it. When it was time to be silent, he gave them the strength to be silent. And this is really the goal to which Christians must aspire and, and the way we relate to one another. Sometimes a word of truth needs to be said and when it needs to be said, the Holy Spirit will give it to us if, we, if we're trusting him. Other times, uh, as you're saying, the most loving, beautiful thing we can do is be silent. And by being silent, we protect our own dignity and we protect the dignity of the person who's hurt us as well. Mm. And the only way to do that is to know what that prompting is of the Lord, to be able to receive that grace, is to live in this type of retreat that Elizabeth is bringing us, this this type of encounter, and then dwelling there continually. That's the call, isn't it? Yeah, I, I think so. And I and I think this is really the, the point. She's talking about a whole way of life where you rely on the Lord alone, where you let yourself be vulnerable to God, to uh, relying on God. And in that radical vulnerability to God, and that complete trust in God, God has space to do some beautiful things. How do we learn to be so vulnerable to Him? This requires on our part uh, contrition, deep sorrow over uh, the ways that we failed God, the ways that we haven't love the way we ought, contrition that moves us also to gratitude for the incredible graces that have been poured out on us, graces that we in no way deserved and that have just been lavished on us uh, beyond all measure. And in that contrition, in, in that gratitude, a holy determination to come what come may, live in response to the love, that, the great love that we've received. So it's, it's really, it's choosing to live in the face of the cross, in the face of what Jesus has done for us. When you live mindful of the price that was paid for you, you find in yourself the ability to trust and to surrender to God in deeper and deeper ways. Anthony, thank you so much. Thank you, Chris. You've been listening to Beginning to Pray with Dr. Anthony Lillis. To hear and or to download this episode, along with hundreds of other spiritual formation programs, visit DiscerningHearts.com. This has been a production of Discerning Hearts. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. We hope that if this has been helpful for you, that you will first pray for our mission. And if you feel us worthy, consider a charitable donation, which is fully tax-deductible to help support our efforts. But most of all, we hope that you will tell a friend about DiscerningHearts.com And join us next time for Beginning to Pray with Dr. Anthony Lillis.